Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm grateful to be here this morning, as, as always, uh, uh, to stand before you, and uh, especially on the important day, man, Mother's Day. Uh, that's an important day. Uh, uh, God has blessed me with a, a fantastic mom. She's little, but she's, she's a good mom, man. And uh, she's, been, she's been fantastic for me, and then blessed me with a wife who is an excellent mother. And so I'm grateful all the way around uh, for that. And so we're going to talk about that today, sort of. But just so you can't turn me off, fellas, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lead into it kind of in a winding way, and we're going to make our way there. So we are talking about mothers in a way, but we're going to get there uh, uh, in a roundabout way, because I want to be sure we're all in the room this morning for what we have, because, uh, well, it's important. A few weeks ago, we talked about sin when I was with you, and I know now you're all like, oh, good, Mother's Day and sin. Those are two things that fit absolutely perfect with each other. Uh, sin, and that's one thing that, that Kayla does well is she manages our boys' sin pretty well because they are good at it. Uh, my boys sin like no other, man, and they are, they are good at it, and they are, well, they're happy about it most of the time, and so they, uh, they are. But it's a very serious thought as we, as we look into this. Just bear with me for just a second as we hit it because I want to just get right into it because... Well, man, it's, it's vital that we understand this word. I feel like this is the one thing that's really gone wrong in our society today is that word, sin, and what it, what it really means, namely the word itself, um, because we kind of have this, this, this concept of it, and usually it becomes my own personal concept of it, meaning that, well, most of the time I can kind of excuse mine away while yours bothers the dog out of me, Right? Like, I don't mind cheating, but if you guys try to cheat me, then there's going to be some problems, right? That's when we get Michael involved, start to sue people, because I'm bothered by your sin, not my own. And this is the one thing we, we've got to lean into. There's about 33 words for sin used in the Bible. Can you believe that? 33 words, different words used for sin in the Bible. And they all mean kind of what you would think. They mean bent. They mean uh, perverse. They mean wicked. And that's what you would expect, right? When we think about sin, ah, that's the words we use. That's what we think about. The deal is, the, the word that God used the most in the Bible doesn't lean into that. The word he used the most literally means to miss the mark. That's all it means. Very simple. In fact, if you were to go to seminary and you would probably have a class called hermodiology, which is the Greek word harmadia, which means to miss the mark. That's the word for sin. Harmadiology is the study of sin. It's a, it's a stimulating class, believe me. It means to miss the mark. And I think God chose this word specifically, more than all the others, because we can't justify it away. I could kind of justify my bentness 
and my perverseness sometimes with something else. Or, or maybe I can look at, look at what I do and be like, I'm just not that bad. Like, like, look at these people. I listen to a lot of crime podcasts, true crime podcasts. I can tell you, I'm not that bad. Right? Like, they're, they're doing some bad things. I'm always shocked by humanity when I listen to those things. They're, there's some rough stuff, and I can justify that away. I'm not, I'm not sawing anybody in pieces, right? I'm not doing anything like that. And so I'm not so bad. I think this is why God chose this word to miss the mark, to use it most frequently when he talks about sin, to miss the mark. The question always becomes, though, what's the mark? Right? The idea here is a target, just like you would imagine. It's a target to miss the mark. And so we're going to look at this in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. If, if you got your Bible or your phone or, or tablet or whatever you're using today, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we'll only be there for just a second. It gives us a very concise definition of this. It says this, ready? For all have sinned, there's your word, harmodiology. Harmodiology, harmodia, I'm sorry, harmodia. Sin, to miss the mark, for all have missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. You see that second half of the verse? The second half says, fall short of the glory of God. There's your mark, the glory of God. So literally, ready? This is what wrecked me uh, many years ago. Anything that you do that does not glorify God is sin. This is why it's so deep. This is why we're stuck in it. This is why we need somebody to get us out of this because I can't get myself out of this because it doesn't matter what great things I do. You know what always happens? I get arrogant about it. People start saying, good job, or this, and I start thinking it's me, and I start taking what God has given me, and I think it's me, and I take the gift that God has given me, and all of a sudden I've made it not about him, I've made it about me, and I've made it sin just like that. This is why God uses this word, I believe, it's sin. And so we take this target. So now it's not just taking a bow and arrow and shooting at a target and just kind of missing it to the left or missing it to the right. No, that word indicates that you miss it, pathetically miss it. We are pathetically missing this. So it's as if the, the target is on the moon and I'm trying to shoot at it with a bow and arrow. And it's as if we all are. And so I can think that just because I shot mine a little bit higher than you shot yours, I might be a little bit better, but right, it's on the moon. Who cares? We're all falling drastically short of this. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's the word God uses most often. And I know it's a real downer this morning. Man, I didn't mean to jump into this. I'll find a funny story here in a minute or something. I'll break the tension. But this is it. This is, the, this is where we're at this morning. So we have to ask the very basic question. We've asked, what is the mark? It's glory. So now I have to ask, what is glory? Right? If we were in, if we were in uh, the student ministry this morning, I would just ask you, what is glory? Give me a definition. See? I would ask it, and we all sit there, and that's what they do. They look at me. What's glory? And I always say something to the effect of, my tax dollars at work, man. You should know what glory means, right? You're in school. What's glory mean? Glory. It's tough. I'll tell you why it's tough. 189 times it's mentioned in the Old Testament. 
189 times. 151 times it's mentioned in the New Testament. The thing is, it's still hard to come down on a definition for this little itty-bitty word. Because it means things like awe. It means things like, like you would think it would mean. We need to land on it. So the first thing I want to look at this morning is glory's definition. We have to figure this out because if I'm falling short of it, I need to figure out what I need to do here. Glory's definition. The definition of glory. One interesting place we could flip to. You don't have to. I'll just, I'll just kind of touch on it real quick is Isaiah chapter 6. If you've never read Isaiah chapter 6, it's very short, but it's a very unique view of what happens when a man gets to see God. Isaiah is somehow ushered into the presence of God without dying. He sees God. He sees the throne room. And he sees some, some crazy stuff. He sees it. Jots it down for us. But the one thing that he sees are these weird beings. And he says they had six wings. And he says there, with two they flew, with two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet. And this is what those beings are doing. They are screaming or yelling or singing loudly to each other this. In verse 3, Isaiah 6, verse 3, it says this. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What these beings deemed appropriate in the throne room was the word holy, holy, holy. They say it three times, probably three times because... God is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then they, 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 they say something very interesting, that the whole earth is full of his glory. So this is the best thing I could probably, just take it from that verse, and we're going to look at a couple more, but one thing I could probably tell you is this. Holiness is who God is. It's who God is. Glory is how that's displayed. Holy is who God is. Glory is how it's displayed. Holiness is the sum total of God's character. It means to be set apart. It's different. This is where we run into trouble with God, right? Because we, we personify God, right? We, 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 we try to make him a little bit more like us, and he's not. He's not. He's different. He's set apart. That's what that word means, holy. It's not, it's not overly religious word, really. It literally just means different than everything else. Set it apart. So everything that he is, everything, everything, creator, just, loving, gracious, righteous, whatever you can think of, these are the things that set God apart as holy because this is who he is. It's not who I am, right? I've used this analogy Several times with my boys, even Shep, who's just a baby, even this morning, Shep comes waddling in his little, his little footsie jammies, and he's like crawling in, comes into the bathroom, comes right to the toilet. We say, Shep, no, no. Gets a little closer to the toilet, puts his hands up on the toilet rim, gross. We say, no. No, starts to lift the lid. We say no, and what is he doing? He's looking at us and doing what? Smiling, right? Because you've had the little transgressors in your house. They smile, smiling right at me as we're telling them no. Who taught him that? Do I think that Kayla teaches him that stuff while I'm not home? Right? 
I don't teach it to them. I don't want to be a headache. What's happening? Man, at an early age, they learn, don't they? They don't even have to learn. It's in them. I don't teach kids how to lie. I don't teach kids how to steal. I don't teach kids how to do those things. I've never taught my kids that stuff. What do I do? I mitigate that. I try to tell them, we don't do this. We don't do that. We don't do this. The word in our house right now at this phase of life is no. Which Henry says very well back to you. No. That's, that's the problem. God is different. It's, he is just holy Loving, it's who he is naturally. It's who he is. So God's glory is this. The glory of God is the physical or external representation of the holiness of God. Or it's his attributes on display. It's his attributes, on, it's who he is on display. Leviticus uh, 10.3 says this. This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, or that word can be translated holy, it's the same word, holy or separate, and before all the people, I will be glorified. They're different, yet the same. They're often the bookends when God is talking about them. Holiness and glory are tied together. God's glory is the most important thing to him. This may sound egotistical or arrogant, but it's not. When I try to think of the most beautiful thing in all the world, the most wonderful thing, the most wondrous thing, the greatest thing, what is it? It is God. So why would God not be his own standard? God is his own standard. This is why it's the most important thing to him. So the question becomes, how does this all apply to me? How does God's holiness and, and his, his glory, which is the, the thing that deserves the greatest worth, which is God himself, how does this all apply to me? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. We're going to look at this next part. This is called glory's uh, participants. Glory's participants, it's this. We saw in Isaiah 3 that the, the whole earth is full of his glory. So everything is crying out that, that some attribute of God, everything. The Bible actually gives us what some things are telling us. We, we see in Psalm 19.1, it says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The skies, there's something about all of that that is telling you uh, uh, something greater is going on. When we see that, when you, when you get out, and, and especially once you start getting out to the west, I don't know how many of you have been out to the west, we have big skies out there, man. It's big. I'm from the west, some of you may not know. I'm from the west. And so we, we have a huge sky. What we lack in green, we make up for in sky. You see it, man. You see it all over. It's huge. It's amazing. It's telling us he's this wonderful creator, but it's telling us more. Psalms 97, 6 says this. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. The heavens proclaiming something to you. When you're out there underneath it, when you're seeing it, I don't know if you guys have ever stopped and, and checked that stuff out. I remember one of my earliest memories is my dad coming in very late one night. 
and he woke me up. And he says, you got to come out here and you got to see this, which was weird. My parents were kind of go to bed, stay to bed, don't get out of bed kind of people. And so he came in, woke me up. We went outside on the deck. He says, I want you to see this. And we got to see Haley's Comet. It went right by. I got a picture of it. Haley's Comet came by. All comets kind of look the same, so you don't know what comet that would be. It could be anything. Haley's Comet went by, and I got to see that. One of my earliest memories, I was more impressed that my dad got me out of bed than I was with the comet. That only comes by every 80 years, 40 years, whatever it is when it comes by. I was so impressed with that, though, like, oh. And I remember in high school, one of the big things in high school, we, I was actually, I, I was, I was, a, uh, I was, man, I was dumb on a lot of fronts, but, but the one front I thought, I thought I was ju- kind of shirking the system a little bit, and I took as an elective astronomy because I thought, how hard can that be, right? I've been to the planetarium. You just sit back in that chair and look up at that dome, and it's awesome. And so that's where I had the classes at the planetarium, and I didn't realize I was going to be calculating everything's light year. I only got 10 fingers. I can't do light years. So I was, I was struggling with that big time. But the one thing I got to see in high school, again, was the Comet Hale-Bopp. I don't know if y'all remember that one. When it was, it was a big deal for other reasons. Uh, that was a big deal because some cultish stuff around it. But, but Hale-Bopp went by, and I brought a picture of Hale-Bopp too, but it, it looks the same. So it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not that impressive uh, on that. So you see this. So comets, man, planets, stars, mountains, hiking trails, continental divides, oceans. They're showing you some attribute of God. This is why you're taken aback by them. This is why when you go to the Grand Canyon, you go like, wow, that's really grand. Right? I don't know how many of y'all have been there, but you can't take a picture of it, right? It's hard to take a picture of it because you can't really scope it for people. It's amazing. Why? It's just a canyon. It's dirt, water, rocks. There's something about it though, right? Mountains. I love them, beaches, skies, all these things are declaring, they're telling a bigger story, and your soul resonates with that, doesn't it? It resonates with it, and it should. You should be in awe. When Lewis was born, I, I really didn't know about that stuff. I mean, I, we, we, weren't, we weren't expecting a kid, and so we... we, we I mean, when she was pregnant, we, like when it was born, we did because she was pregnant. But before, we weren't expecting a kid. And so when Lewis was born, man, and they just bring it out, and then they just hand it to you like, like I know what I'm doing. So he, there he is, and he's screaming, and he's crying. But, man, my heart exploded, right? Because there's something, boy, it's just a baby. And I mean, right? And it's a financial issue, Right? There's a problem there. There's lots of problems. He's about to drain me. I mean, there's nothing about that kid that's really going to add value in the sense of financial. He's going to drain for me. But, man, in that moment, I'm thinking, whoa, and I can't imagine the Sansbury seeing three of them at that moment, right? Like, that's, that's crazy. That's nuts. And so I, I, I see that, and this is the problem. My heart exploded with love, and in that moment, Lewis was a representation of God's glory. It's bigger than just Lewis, Right? But here's our problem. Here's our shift. I take that representation and I, 
I make it the big deal. Right? So then I obsess over Lewis. This is why, this is why kids frustrate you. This is why kids frustrate me. Because I'm making him more than what he should be. Right? I'm making him more than that. And, I, and all of a sudden I, I, I take into him and I start to put into him all my failed dreams and all my failed things. And so I obsess over baseball or football and I get frustrated when he doesn't do X, Y, Z and, and, and I'm, I'm putting this on him, man. And it's never supposed to be that. I almost called this series or this, 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 this sermon Breaking Mirrors because this is really what we're talking about because this is what we do as humans. If you want to, flip over to Romans 1 and let me show you what the Bible says. The Bible tells you this is who we are. It doesn't shirk it. It tells you exactly who we are. Romans 1 uh, verse 18 says this, very aggressive text. If you've never read Romans 1, it's a very aggressive text, and it says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20, here's how. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. How? Comets, mountains, babies, cocker spaniels, if that's your thing. All these things are there, and you, re, you react to them with a sense of awe. But that awe is not supposed to be for them. It's supposed to be for him. That's what Romans 1 is telling you. And look what it says. His eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And here's the worst part of it all. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that look like a mortal human being or birds or animals or reptiles. You worship the creation and not the creator. You take glory and you give it to what can't handle that glory and it frustrates you. This is why most of us are frustrated. Because we're, we're, we're not understanding why this thing that I'm giving so much attention to, so much awe to, can't handle that awe and can't handle that, that weight. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory. It's excellent. We should be in awe of nature. We should be in awe of any kind of love relationship. In fact, it tells us that awe there is the mother of thankfulness, right? It says they were neither thankful because God anticipates you to be thankful when you see something that, that, that is awe. But we don't look at things around us and just recognize God. We grab it and we make it our obsession. Because our souls react to it, we think that it's, it's what we're lacking or it's what's going to satisfy us, and it won't. It won't happen. That it, whatever it is, 
it's going to frustrate you. It's going to frustrate me. We make it our God, and we change the glory of God into something else. We, we, we change it into this thing. It could, be, it could be something. It could be a place. It could be a person. It could be a thing. And it was never meant to carry that weight. The things that those do, those things still, they're declaring the glory of God. They aren't the problem. You know what the problem is? Me. You. We are the only creation, part of creation, ready? We're the only part of creation that chooses whether we glorify God or not. Everything else just does. We choose that. God gave us that ability to choose that. And here's the problem. Since the fall, we can't. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word all in the Greek means all. Huh. Good choice in word. It means everybody has done this. Everybody has exchanged God for something Else, and we've sinned. We've exchanged the glory of God for other things, namely, really, ourselves, right? That's really what I'm all about. The other reason my kids frustrate me is because they're not doing what I say, and they're not doing what I expect, and they're not doing what I, 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 and they're frustrated because they're I, 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 and you're frustrated because you're I, 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 and this is the problem we're having. The Bible told us that from jump. Romans 1 said, that, that's what's gonna happen, man. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter eight, that all of nature is longing for us to get it together. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter eight and verse 19 says this. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. I love that it says expectation because it knows that God's, God's gospel works. Verse 20 says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, and this is how, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I don't know the pains of childbirth, but I know that Caleb about broke my hand. Right? And it says the whole creation is just sitting there wanting it, people, to get it together. Huh, you're going out to see the Grand Canyon, and the Grand Canyon's looking at you saying, get it together, man. People are climbing Mount Everest. What is it, 500 people a year? Try it. Five other dumb people trying to climb that thing a year. And all they're doing is just going up there to be yelled at by that mountain, telling them to get it together. Get it together. Everything around you longs for you to figure out your purpose, longs for you to figure out why you exist, longs for me to figure it out. And so that's the last thing I want to talk about, which is very quick, the glory's restoration. Glory's restoration. The creation is waiting for the manifestation of the children of God, waiting for the children of God to rise up. It's waiting for those who are saved. Why? Here we go, ready? Because salvation through Jesus Christ is the only way 
you can glorify God. I already told you that God, God is the greatest thing for him. So when you and I get saved, it tells us, the Bible tells us there in Romans, it's a great book to read, it tells us that we trade our sin for his righteousness. So that when God looks at my life, he doesn't see my sin anymore, he sees Jesus. And that's why it glorifies him, because it's Jesus. That's why the creation glorifies him, because Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus made it. And it glorifies him. Salvation is the only way we can glorify God. Trees don't sin. Stars don't sin. Cocker spaniels don't sin. People sin. If you tell me that cocker spaniels sin because they, they, they mess on the floor or something like that, they're dogs inside of houses. It happens. This is where we're going today. People sin. I sin. I miss the mark more times than I can count. I miss the mark. I fall short of the glory of God. We have to recognize this is what I'm doing. It's not just that I lied today or I did this today. Man, that's small thinking. It's that I didn't give God glory that he deserves today with anything I did, even the good stuff I did. I didn't do it. I Even coming to church, I can arrive at church, and if I'm just here to tick it off a box, to check it, a box mark off that I came to church today, that's not giving God glory. That's helping yourself feel better, right? And this is, this is where we get it. It's so entrenched in us, and we can make this exchange. My filth for Christ's righteousness by faith, meaning that I place the weight of my life on who Christ is and what Christ did, and God just gives it to me. It's an exchange that he makes freely. He takes my sin. Jeremiah 31 tells me that he remembers them no more, so everything that I can't forget, God can't remember. And he takes all that away from me, and he gives me Christ's righteousness. And Romans 5, chapter one, or, uh, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through, the, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And, he, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Salvation allows me to boast now in the hope of the glory of God because it rests in me now. I have the ability to glorify God. I can rejoice in that hope. This should be motivation now, right? This should be the reason why, I'm, why I want to be a good husband and why I want to be a good father and why I want to be a good church member and a good citizen is because I can glorify God and people will see that and they in turn will do the same. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 tells us this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Don't see my good deeds and think, wow, what a great dude. See my good deeds and say, wow, what a great God. They changed him. Because when he was a toddler, he just lied and grabbed the toilet seat and went up and smiled at his mom who told him no. Because that's who I am, right? I'm not changed a whole lot. I've just learned how to hide it from you. He says, you want to live your life in such a way that you are glorified. You're taking God's attributes and you're shining them back to God. That's glory. I'm taking his attributes, love, justice, peace. I'm taking those attributes and I'm shining them 
back to God. And as a Christian, I, I know until you understand your purpose, you will live a very frustrated life. This is your, this is your life. You will live a frustrated, maybe even a boring life. You may think that, that Christianity is boring. This is why. And I'll tell you why. Because you may think that I'm telling you today, try harder. Please don't hear me and think I'm telling you to try harder. Don't hear that. I'll say it real slow. I am not telling you to try harder. The Bible doesn't tell you to try harder. If you want, spend some time lingering over John 15. Spend some time just lingering over that because Jesus said this, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All God expects for you is to remain. That word remain means to dwell, to make your house in, to, ab- to abide in some, in some versions. You just, you just live in it. He's not asking you to do anything special. He's not asking you to do anything nuts. He's just telling you, just, just be near me and linger for a bit, and I guarantee you, you will change. I guarantee you this is what will happen. I'm not telling you to love harder. I'm not telling you to be more peaceful. I'm telling you, linger around God and that will happen. Naturally, it will happen. Otherwise, you can do nothing, he says. Nothing. That's all I'm capable of when it comes to me and my relationship with God is nothing on my own. Very unimpressive, very unneeded, nothing. This is where we're going. So when we lean into this, I start to see that, that this is where we start to see even in motherhood. As we transition into where I told you I was going, see, I told you, I'd be back. When we look at Mother's Day and we consider this very important role, man, I know it's a thankless job. I mean, even when you say thank you, it's, it's not enough, right? It's just, it's just not enough. Being a mom is difficult. And I know, like in our home, we try to do teamwork. We try to be a team. We try to share the load. And that wall works fine until a kid gets sick. And then what happens? That kid wants nothing to do with dad. And he wants his mom. There are, there are weights that moms bear that, that, that I will never bear. There are weights that, that women, they, they bear that I will never bear. Boys, my boys want their mom. There's the only things that mom can do, and I don't know what it's so special. Like, I'm gonna let you watch TV. She's just gonna hug on you, right? But there's something there, man, that's all they want. And so in this thankless job and in this job where, where you may be doing something in your home, whether it's, whether it's leaving the home and providing uh, some income for your family or whether it's, it's, it's laundry and the other stuff that comes along with being in the home, whatever it may look like for you, looks different for everybody in this room. Whatever it may look like, I know it can be thankless, but in this moment, you start to see why God did what he did. Because as you linger, <laughs> there's gonna be little, little bodies that linger with you, right? They sit right at your feet, and they're always around. Like, we don't, you don't need a big house because the kids are always, like, right here, right? I don't know why we, why we build such big houses. Kids don't care. Like, they don't need a big house. They just need to be where you're at. Right? We spend all our day, we have an island in our kitchen, and we spend all our day stepping over kids and saying what? Go to your room. Why? Because they're just hanging around us the whole time. 
They're lingering. Why do you think they linger? Do you think they linger because it's, it's the natural thing for you to do? That somewhere along the line, we, we don't linger with God. We break away from all that. When God naturally puts that in us, because look at kids, they just linger. Always linger, stepping on them, stepping over them, trying not to get them. They're always there around us. It's exactly how we were made. God, God did this. So when we look at moms, the one thing we did, because of these weights and the, the stuff they bear, there was a great quote by Andy Stanley, and he says this. He says, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. We, we made picture frames over here with this quote in them. And we want every mom to take one. If there's a mom that you know about that, that maybe wasn't here today or you think you could bless them with that, take one, man. We don't, we don't mind. Just, just take them because I don't know what I'm going to do with all those picture frames, right? You can give them to that mom. Take one for yourself. It's important that we look at this because this is, this is what we're leaning into, that we, we can glorify God simply by just lingering with him and in that moment, all of a sudden, we become aware of what God is doing around us. And we can look at our kids and not just be frustrated, but see God and be in awe once again and give God the credit instead of putting a weight somewhere else. When you're taking a walk this afternoon, man, you can see it. See the glory of God and give that, give that, give that to God, not, not, not just take it in or make it your obsession, but you give all the glory to God. That's the glory story. I wanted to, to bring that to you today, so I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind to bow your head, and we're going to pray real quick. Oh, Father, help us. Help me. I need this more than anybody. The reason why I can, I can pull this stuff out of the scriptures is because it speaks to me because you know right where I'm at, man. I, I tend to get frustrated with things. I tend to make life or the things going on in my life, the biggest of deals, and I don't give you the glory you deserve. I don't reflect your attributes back to you. I take those things that are screaming your glory and I make them my obsession. Places, people, things, and in that I miss the mark and I sin. I'm equally it's thankful, though, that you knew that that's how we were. You knew that's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden, and this is who they are, and you made provision for it through Jesus. <laughs> you, you sent a substitution for my life because my life was obviously not going to cut it. And you gave me Jesus. And when you look at my life, you see Jesus, and I can't thank you enough for that. I don't have to wear the weight of my pathetic life and the decisions I've made, but I rest in the glorious hope that you look at Jesus and you account that to my, to my account. You said that I, I lived that life. I didn't. Jesus did, but you, you give that to me. That's such a gift. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. If there's a person in here that does not know Jesus, oh my word, let us, let us make him look so worthy because he is. Save them today if you would, Lord. 
Is there somebody in here that's been hearing the, 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 the Bible and the Word of God and the, the gospel for a long time and they've never made that decision? Man, stir in them to make that decision. Help them. Lord, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for all that you do. We love you, Lord. Your son's precious and holy name.